and welcome to the Logistics Tribe. I'm your host, Boris Felgendreyer, and today I have Joachim Schaut from DB Schenker on the program to talk about how the logistics provider is helping to digitally transform the supply chains of its customers. Joachim leads the company's intercontinental supply chain solutions. That's an area where Schenker is making some big technology plays and where they have built partnerships with some state-of-the-art technology vendors to transform the way global logistics and supply chains are managed. Before we get started, a quick thanks to our supporters and sponsors, Grey Orange. Grey Orange automates warehouse operations through a combination of AI software and autonomous mobile robots. Grey Orange systems are in place in some very prominent companies such as IKEA or the Danish household goods and furniture retailer Yisk. If you're looking to get your warehouse and fulfillment operations to the next level with the help of autonomous robots and automation, you should definitely have Grey Orange on your list. Check them out at greyorange.com. All right, and now we're on to the show with Joachim Schaut from DB Schenker. Enjoy. Hello, Joachim. Welcome to the Logistics Tribe. Thanks for being on the program. Thanks for having me, Boris. Excited to have you on. I was just looking at your LinkedIn profile and realized that you've been with uh, DB Schenker for, what, 13, almost 14 years, almost your entire career. <laughs> What's going on there? Yes, yes. I mean, did... Uh uh, did many jobs uh, in Schenker on various levels, started at branch level, then national head office, regional head office. Uh, and now, meanwhile, since two years, I'm globally responsible for what we call ISC, Intercontinental Supply Chain Solutions. It's fair to assume that 100% of our listeners know DB Schenker, so that we don't need to spend a lot of time explaining what the company does. But maybe that part that, that you're in charge of, that you're running, the International Supply Chain Solutions, what does that part do? Yeah, in, in essence, we uh, look after uh, our big customers uh, and help them to shape their supply chain. Depends on the targets of the customers, so uh, cost savings, resilience, risk management, these kind of, of topics. And for that, we have, in essence, three product pillars. Uh, one is everything about purchase order management, especially for import uh, customers. Then we have freight management solutions for customers with direct carrier contracts. Uh, and the last pillars is everything around supply chain analytics. So. How can we help our customers to drive supply chain performance with, with the means of data? Got it. So so this is really for the very big daddy, so to speak. That's for the large, globally operating, international, global supply chain, so the, the big corporations of the world, so to speak. Yes, correct. Or is it also like smaller brands that are sourcing in the Far East, for example? Is it is it fair to assume it's mostly large global shippers that are customers of their particular solution? Yeah, it does not need to be necessarily global. Uh, can also be a bigger <laughs> customer on one trade lane. Um, so, yeah, usually if you, if you want to have a size, usually we start around 2000 TU and, and above. Um. Got it. Okay. And it's also fair to say that your customers aren't fully outsourcing their logistics or supply chain solutions to you, but they're, they're always using a combination of different providers. So it's a, like a bouquet of different providers of which DB Schenker is one of them. Yes. Yes. So it, it depends on customer by customer. Everyone, everyone draws his line on what he wants to outsource uh, in, a, in a different way. Uh, that also has to do with the culture of the company and their general strategy. And this is why we usually do solution design workshops with these customers to identify, okay, where are the handover points? Uh, is it is it we are managing the whole supply chain or is it other providers as well in the game? So this depends. Yeah, and you just said that you, you've taken over that department, that intercontinental supply chain solutions two years ago, and it's probably evolved over time. How long has that, that part been in place and how has it changed over the course of the years? So the last two years uh, have been have been quite right uh, for anyone in ocean and air freight. Uh, but also especially uh, for the technology side of things. 
so the whole digitization trend was for sure there before, but COVID-19 or Corona was for sure an accelerator for the whole development. Uh, so there is really a very, very big push towards digitization of supply chains. And whereas in the past, uh, all shippers focused very much on cost efficiency and getting better cost base year on year. Now things like supply chain resilience um, and end-to-end -end visibility is far, uh, far bigger on the agenda of our customers than it used to be two years ago and this is driving a lot of a lot of our destiny at the moment uh, and gives us a, a very high dynamic um, so we had already a big growth dynamic in isc before but COVID-19 is really pushing pushing the limits on our side as well. Yeah, and it seems like supply chain disruptions, they just keep coming and coming, right? So it's not just COVID and COVID isn't over. Before that, it was trade wars and trade wars aren't completely over yet. You know, then we had the the Suez Canal. We have a war on our hands. You know, it's just, it, it's this, this gift that keeps on giving. It's just never ending, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the beginning, everyone was talking about Black Swan events, right? So Suez Canal, for sure, maybe that's a Black Swan event. But if we look at the others... Port closure in China was at the beginning of the pandemic also considered as black swan event. Now we need to, to see, okay, uh, a handful of positive COVID uh, tests in the Chinese port can lead to the next lockdown of a certain area. So uh, we, I think what we need to do is we, we need to start getting out of this firefighting and get to a, a new normal, whatever this new normal is. But, but we clearly need to get out of this firefighting modus. And there, there I see, see shippers who do a very good job in getting out of this. And still a lot of shippers are still in the, in the firefighting modus. And if we, if we also exclude the COVID cases, then we need to also consider all this all these more long-term effects like infrastructure topics in the US, like the mm. you mentioned it, the war, which for sure changes the geopolitical landscape we are all operating in, and things like uh, sustainability, which will not uh, get, uh, get less important over time. So all of this will have a long-term effect. And I think we as supply chain leaders, we need to start really dealing with it in a in, in, in a more strategic and a more long-term form and fashion. Yeah, and what um, what sort of changes and what of sort of investments have you at DB Schenker made over the last few years that really sort of stepped up the game? I mean, you talked about digitalization, so a lot of digital tools have been added to the toolbox. I, I assume you have a lot of external partners you partner with, but also some internally developed tools. Just give us an overview of where you've made your, your biggest bets and your biggest investments over the last, let's say, two to three years. So. Mm -hmm. So if you talk about digitization, um, then our approach is to build up a, a ecosystem of, of technology. Uh, this can be in-house developed. Uh, this can be also coming from uh, external partners. Um, if we look at the external partner side, there we really are looking for strategic partners. Uh, you might have seen our, our announcements with, uh, with InfoNexus. So that's a partner which we are partnering already since, since 15 years uh, with and where where we want to continuously involve uh, our partnership. And uh, the reason for this, let's say, uh, approach that we have both internal and external capabilities uh, is because we really do not want to limit ourselves to, let's say, our own capabilities. The technology world is just too fast to cope with it as one company. And besides the partnership, you might have also seen uh, our Schenker Ventures. So we even have now venture capital sure. arm mm -hmm. to really go into this digitization piece in a, in a fast way. Uh, and therefore, we want to get best the best solutions in the industry. And then our value add is really to combine this to a solution. And then we are combining technology 
with operational execution. Uh, and both right. needs to be there. What I what I see in the market is that sometimes sometimes there's there's concepts floating around which is missing the technology piece, which does not really fly. And then we have pure software providers, which also does not fly. So we really think we need to put state-of-the-art technology together with global execution capabilities, because we all know just to put a platform there, in theory, it works, yeah, but for sure, there's always a supplier uh, who does not follow the standard workflow. There's always someone who does not remember it anymore. And you need to deal with all of these uh, exceptions. And there we have also invested not only in technology, but also in a operational setup around ISC in the individual parts of the world to really step up uh, our operational performance uh, on the solution side as well. So we invested not only in technology, but also on the operational side of things. Yeah, and in terms of investing and trying out and experimenting with new technology, does D.B. Schenker consider themselves a, a pioneer, somebody who, who tries out new technology first and be the first one to market with stuff and be an innovator or is it a sort of a later adopter? Where do you see yourself on the continuum to someone that's like really early on with stuff as opposed to someone that's more of a waiting pattern and, and then bringing on stuff as it's proven itself, so to speak? I mean, as, as one of the global LSPs, uh, we need to be a front runner. Uh, if it's not if it's not the big uh, players in the industry, then these new technologies will will never uh, come to light. Huh? So we are trialing with blockchain uh, together with a project in the European Union. Uh, we have a whole innovation uh, department uh, who only focuses on this. Let's say uh, a longer term. Uh, investments. We have invested in companies like Volocopter who do drone deliveries. So there's a whole variance of investments which are doing in that space, which is more on the long uh, term in order to get this first mover advantages. But but I'm, I'm I'm really convinced it is the big players who need to shape the technology so that it really has then a breakthrough in the whole industry. Yeah, where does the um, the competitive pressure usually come from? I mean, now you've you've seen the emergence from these so-called digital freight forwarders that are popping everywhere that get a lot of funding, a lot of investment. Are you really feeling the pressure, or are you, are you saying, well, the the pie is big enough? They're not really competitors. That they're inspiring. How how do you look at that whole emergence of these digital freight forwarders? I mean, I mean, if 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 we look at the content, then they are doing freight forwarding as as we and our other competitors are doing as well. Huh? So. And, and, and this is also how I perceive uh, the new entrance. It is a competition and we take it serious like any other competition uh, as well. What we so far do not see is, is someone who really is transforming the industry and who is really having a very, very innovative approach, right? So, so that's what, what we do not see. It is a, a lot of, a lot of these new entrants start with a, with a only digital approach. And then over time you see, okay, we will opening offices here and there. And now they are adding also physical capabilities. So, so that's what logistics is all about. Yeah. It's, it's, it's combining technology with people around the world and physical, uh, opportunities to, to really do something physical with cargo. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, they they are they are new entrants and we take them serious like any others. And so far we do not see anyone who is really transforming 
the industry. Yeah, and of course, the the one thing, the one advantage they have is that they don't have any baggage, right? So they can they can start from scratch. They can build systems and everything from scratch. Of course, they don't have the physical capabilities like a, like a Schenker does. I guess the only yes. advantage they have is they don't have to deal with all of this legacy has built over time. How, how much of that is is that a factor in, in, inside of Schenker when you want to transform the way you guys do business, changing the status quo and doing things different than you have in the past with this sort of more analog systems that are still in place here and there? Yeah. So if I look at the big LSPs, including Schenker, then I think they transformed heavily over the last 10 years. Yeah? So mm -hmm. um, if we look in, in inside Schenker, the way we use technology now compared with already five years ago is a different ball game. The way we do customer visibility, the way we operate our processes, even the last years, two years of COVID uh, shaped that completely. And, and we were, as Schenker, we were able to send all our people to home office everywhere in all modes of transports um, and still keeping our network alive. And this was only possible because we did the transformation to the cloud already years ago, and we were on that journey already. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think the, the global LSPs are, are transforming themselves very well. Yeah? So can it be faster? For sure. Uh, do we have also change management activities ongoing? Yes, as well, but I would not call our legacy a, a purely a baggage. Yeah? So mm -hmm. um, there is this expertise which we are having around the world. We know how logistics works. We know how it works everywhere. Uh, we have a global network of possibilities. Yeah? So yes, it's maybe it's maybe easier to do change management if you don't have such a big organization. But on the other hand, if you are not everywhere on this world uh, able to execute then you also have a problem. Yeah? So to give you an example on that, uh, if we look at the trade wars, so if you are a category manager of a shipper, then it can happen nowadays that suddenly your product is under a certain ban or there's import duties and you need to shift your sourcing location from one country to another. If you do this with a, a global LSP with global coverage like Schenker, then you can move from one origin country to another you have the same experience, you have the same systems, you have the same processes, and you have the same way of operating. Mm -hmm. um, and that's and that's what we see as, as a very, very big advantage, as especially the bigger customers are for sure de-risking their sourcing strategy at the moment. Mm -hmm. And when you when you look at the technology that's been employed in the last few years, what's been the, the biggest game changer? Like maybe also things that you underestimated how impactful that technology could be. And, and in hindsight, you're thinking, oh, well, this was a game changer. And we're glad we, <laughs> we did that. Hmm, that's, that's a good question. I think it's the ability uh, to move processes to the cloud. Mm -hmm. uh, so the cloud uh, technology that has really opened up a lot of new possibilities. So that, that we moved away from all of this on-premise solution to cloud solutions that enables a lot of other technologies. And that's the foundation for sure. There is OCR, RPA, blockchain, and so on. But this is this is the matter on how you combine all of these different technologies together to a solution. But you need to have the fundamentals in the cloud in order to do that on a global level. Yeah, that's. I agree with you, and I think um, you know I'm going to you know just mention briefly my my history and background on GT Nexus in a second. But you know if you've been with Schenker for 13, 14 years and, and looked at all the different tools and looked at cloud, you know we, we both experienced a time around 2009, 10, 12 where there was a lot of cloud skepticism in the market, right? 
where people did not at all immediately realize the potential of it. And there was backlash and there was resistance, especially in Germany with German customers for a long time. So yes. it happened very gradually. And all of a sudden, it happened very, very quickly, right? So the last few years, everybody's jumping on board. And now people are, are scrambling to get away from, from on-premise to, to the cloud. So you've, you've, you've experienced this firsthand too, just like I did, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, a couple of years ago, this was the big theme, cybersecurity, data security, data privacy, and so on. But I think meanwhile, it got clear that especially these points, that that they uh, they are far, let's say it's far easier to manage these type of things in a cloud environment than on-premise. Uh, I think you are right. Yeah? So this changed heavily over the last couple of years. Yeah, let's maybe um, spend some time to talk about the, the solution or the technology provider you picked and you've worked with for a long time, which used to be GT Nexus, now it's InfoNexus, and my background on that, I started uh, with GT Nexus in 2009, <laughs> when, when that was a very, very small company, and, and the product looked quite differently. It was a, a freight procurement tool um, where you could you do your ocean freight tender once a year, you know, move away from Excel-based to, to a more modern online version, and it, it sort of evolved into a full-fledged global visibility tool, and later on we added supply chain finance function to it. And I'm glad to see, I mean, Schenker was an, an early customer in, in many of these aspects, and I'm glad to see that you're still alive and kicking and that partnership has, has taken it to the next level. So so talk to us how you, maybe the, the, the first starts, if you remember how it all started and how you sort of gradually moved all in into this, like we just said, a cloud-based tool, a cloud-based platform collaboration tool that company used to manage their global supply chains. How did it all evolve from your vantage point? Yeah, so as you mentioned, we have been pretty early, so we have been the first LSP uh, on the platform, and uh, this yeah this developed over time, and now fast forward nearly 15, 15 years. We just end of <laughs> end of last year came to terms that that we get access to all InfoNexus functionality. So historically, there is there's let's say an LSP uh, package of functionality, and there's other functionalities. Uh, and 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 we now came to conclusion. Hey, it actually makes total sense if we say someone wants to digitize their supply chain that we take out this artificial uh, limits. Huh? And so we are pioneering, I would say, with with them again, huh? as we are again the first uh, LSP who who is walking in that direction together um, uh, with InfoNexus. Huh? And this this gives our customer the opportunity to really say, okay, if I look in the market, what is what is the supply chain software I really want to use? Also in terms of risk management um, uh, aspect, so they don't, don't need to to tie them to something which they on the longer run are not sure. And then at the same time, combine it with the Schenker capabilities, and this is to really execute, implement, design the solution based on this on this software piece. Yeah? So and this is why it is super important now that we have this 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 next level of partnership and took out all of these artificial barriers. Yeah, and I can imagine for any any shipper, it must be a major headache or a major challenge to stay on top of all the developing new technologies that are out there and, and all the new players and and pick the best ones, bring them together. That's sort of the the one approach where you you pick the best and you have like ten different platforms to do your things on, or you go with an established platform that offers a lot of functionality that's really close to what you actually need, right? So yeah. I, I see the the trade off that people have to make, but that's that's certainly what <laughs> certainly the, the decisions that people have to make, right? Yeah, and that's what we try to accomplish with our ecosystem approach. Huh? So that we say, mm -hmm. okay, well, we partner, for example, with Info, but we have also other partners which we are bringing to the table, and we also have have certain areas where we uh, do something on our own, where we build solutions in-house. And the combination 
of the different solutions is what 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 makes our our solutions towards the market then then hopefully unique. Yeah. yeah. What are some other key tools that are part of the toolbox that you are partner that you're proud of that you're also officially talking about? Yeah. For example, we work also with Kupalama Soft on the network uh, design aspects of mm -hmm. things. Yeah. So this is something which 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 InfoNexus does not have. Uh, so we say okay, there we also it also does not does not make sense to reinvent the wheel internally. So we also work with Kupalama Soft as well. So to give you one example. Yeah, that's probably the other thing we should mention and should make it very clear. There's no one-size-fits-all tool that does everything under the belt. There's no Swiss army knife that solves all of your problems. <laughs> yeah, although, <laughs> just, although customers yeah. are looking for it sometimes, yeah, but that does not exist, true. Yeah, yeah and it gets promised so many times yes. from very well-known you know, software providers that promise you the world or, or promise you that, oh, yeah, that whatever that new kit on the block there is developing that's super shiny. We, we have that in the works. Just wait a couple of years and you have that too. That, that never shaped out. That's just my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So you're, you're actually playing this active role of being sort of a, a selector or a combinator of all the different technologies that are useful for your customers and you develop partnerships. So this is all comes out of the box. So the, the customer gets it through you as, as a service, so to speak, right? So exactly. all of that comes out the box and you have all the integrations and all the, the way to implement it all, all set up. Talk, talk to me about that works. How, when a customer is either an existing customer and comes to you and wants to use some of that new functionality or as a new customer, what's the way to implement all this stuff and how do you work Work with your partners to get that done on the customer side yeah so we have the solution competency on our side so we have uh, solution designers around the world who work with the respective uh, customers and for sure we also have a let's say best practice background if you want to call it that way yeah? so we know mm -hmm. if we talk if we talk on platforms yeah, we we know what works and what does not really work yeah? so we learn from failures in the past yeah, and, and from mistakes and bring that also to the table so even if the customer is suggesting in a certain way we already know okay this does not work and we can propose an alternative which we think it will work then in the S in in essence it is a joint effort between us and the customer to this to design the solution uh, and then we hand it over to to the implementation uh, phase and then we do all the integrations on the IT side we do all the trainings on the operational side we put all all resources together that it takes to operate the solution and then we start to onboard all the partners uh, onto our solution. So partners can, is usually not only the customer, it's also suppliers, maybe other three parties that need access uh, to, to some data. And then we are onboarding it and then we are handing it over to operations in a third process step and say, okay, now it's implemented, now it's live, and now we need to uh, execute it uh, with a high quality. And what we drive is a so-called program management approach where we have program managers for these kind of customers so that we are always up to date. Yeah? So as you mentioned, technology is evolving, there's new features. So so all of this then continuous improvement of the solution happens then through a dedicated IC program management approach. And it's also probably worthwhile to mention that as a, as a customer, by going with the solution that you provide, let's just use InfoNexus as an example, as provided through Schenker, I'm not completely locked in 100% into Schenker because I could, I could still use the other logistics providers and global LSPs that I'm using. Because we said it initially, nobody's completely 100% outsourcing everything to you guys, but they're using DHL and, and, and other carriers, what have you. 
um, in different parts of the world, that allows me some flexibility, right? So, yes. you know, there, there's always this concern on behalf of the customer that don't want to get locked into a technology just because a logistics provider is offering it. If I want to switch logistics providers for whatever reason or shift my, my, my needs change, then I'm not locked in just because of the technology I'm using. So there's a, there's a degree of freedom that you allow the customer to still re maintain with the systems that you're providing, correct? Absolutely. And that was the core reason why we said, okay, uh, do we want to build something on our own in terms of platform or do we go with the state-of-the-art platform which is existing in the market? And we listened to our customers which exactly expressed that concern mm -hmm. and um, um, we could understand it and this is why we went with a market solution in order to give this flexibility uh, to the customers, yes. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the functionality. So I, I briefly described earlier how InfoNexus started or GTNexus started that transformed into InfoNexus. What's the capability today? I, mean, I haven't looked in, in two years, so maybe a lot of things have changed and it's, it really has taken it to the next level. What's the current capability that you're able to, you said it's the entire suite of things, so I imagine mm -hmm. to be quite comprehensive. So take us through the different elements of what the platform is capable of that you're offering to your customers. Yeah, so there's a lot of recent uh, development. Um, so it's everything around all these predictions. So how can you look into the future, especially in today's world? If you take a, a very simple example, yeah? so before, before the capacity crunch, which we see uh, in ocean freight, it was good enough to know when the vessel arrived at the port and then you could assume, okay, it gets unloaded. Now you need to be much more specific. Now you know that uh, the vessel is there, uh, but is it just at anchor or is it really already at the berth when it will be unloaded? What is the congestion in the port? So you need to know all of this data. And this is one of the, one of the recent developments um, uh, which has been, been brought into production to really say, okay, these these more uh, specific steps, we also need to cater for them in order then to feed the predictive algorithms to say, how can we predict at the final destination? So the predictions are not really at port, but really at, at final destination. And if we bring that all together, then uh, it has been evolved into a solution called Control Center. So this is where you then can connect your selling inventory with your sourcing inventory uh, to identify uh, shortages or problems way upfront. And, and for this, let's say, upfront identification of shortages, there you need the whole end-to-end -end visibility and then the predictions that makes this, this let's say, look into the future possible. Yeah, and it's probably important to mention how crucial and how also how difficult it is for a, a regular shipper who doesn't have a platform like that to get the visibility that they need. They would literally have to consult with each and every carrier, right? They would have to have integrations with any of these carriers to get the visibility that you that you get through a platform like that, right? Yes. So it's it's almost impossible. Even the biggest shipper in the world couldn't do it because of all the there's so many different parties involved, and then you have data quality issue, which we can talk about in a second. But speak to how how difficult it is to actually get that information. It sounds so easy. Well, when the vessel arrives in the port, but having that all in view, if you're like a Nestle with four hundred thousand containers in the world, for example, how difficult it actually is. Can you can you speak to that? Yeah, and 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 before I talk to to the data side of things. There's also a big operational aspect of it, which has been accelerated through COVID. In the past, you could give a lot to a, a couple of selected carriers and then you could manage it. Huh? Now, 
the allocation management, forecasting, which you need to bring to the table. Then you have your overflows. What are you doing with them? It's far more flexible. And you cannot operate this in an environment where you just say, okay, I'm connected to two carriers and I split uh, the business 50-50. That does not work anymore and it's not sufficient because what yeah. if this carrier has a blank sailing? What if the carrier is suddenly more restrictive on allocation and does not allow overflows for you anymore? Yeah? So all of these questions led to a situation where a lot of the big shippers balanced their carrier portfolio out. So more carriers most likely also mm -hmm. adding an NVOCC capability uh, to it. Huh? And if you then talk to a, a global LSP like Schenker, then we can, marriage, we can manage the carrier side of things. We are connected with the major carriers, with all of them pre-connected. So if the customer doesn't change, then it does not really affect the operations of it. And we can add this NVOCC network as a kind of a safety network uh, uh, behind it, so that that if mm -hmm. that if they are really let down by the carriers, and this happened to nearly every customer uh, uh, the last two years at certain stage, then we can support them and keep the supply chain moving. So this was the the operational side of triggering it, and then as you mentioned, um, data and data quality and data availability, yeah, it's it's not sufficient anymore to just get a carrier EDI. Uh, so that that was uh, in the past maybe that was that was good enough yeah but now you need to have one you need to have boots on the ground yeah to sense all of this yeah and then you need to bring it back into a structured uh, way you need to also for sure work with AIS data with ship data but also with port data yeah? so ports have data which the carriers don't have or don't have in that granularity which you also need to take into consideration like the port congestion example which i mentioned earlier so it's far more fragmented and the big topic for our customers is you don't know what will be state of the art in a year or in six months from now yeah? you don't know if there's mm -hmm. a new technology startup evolving bringing something to the table which nobody thought of and and yeah and as mentioned this is then our our backbone of the of the ecosystem, we bring that partner then in, and then all of our customers have access to it without investing themselves into all of this technology. Mm. Can you give a couple of examples? You don't you don't have to mention customers, but a couple of examples of how some of your customers have successfully leveraged such a system and what sort of moves they've been able to make because of it? Yeah, I mean, to make it to make it concrete, uh, maybe we take two cases. One, you mentioned the Suez Canal. Until that, a lot of a lot of shippers were, were managing their supply chains on, on Excel. And just just to find out what is in the Suez Canal and and I'm am I affected? And if yes, what is inside these containers? Is it really now hurting me or not? Uh, and the next question is, what happens with all the ships that are queuing now behind the Suez Canal? So I'm I affected there as well. Uh, so this was if you if you if you don't have one single version of the truth uh, in in a kind of a platform way, then this was very tedious to find out via Excel sheets. And in such crisis situations, it is a difference if you need to call your LSPs or carriers and you need to then bring all the data together first and then you lose maybe two, three days uh, of time, which is in these crisis situations uh, really a difference. So this was, was one thing. And the maybe another example, when, when we had the first port closure uh, with Yantian, there was also a lot of unclarity 
on am I affected or not? And there it does not help anymore if you only have, let's say, container level visibility. There you need to know, okay, how much purchase orders do I have in this area? Where can I intervene? Yeah? Can I maybe take this purchase order and reroute it through a different port? Yeah? Maybe then there's more origin trucking involved, uh, but in the end it helps my supply chain. But there you need to have visibility on order and and, and also SKU uh, level, which a lot of customers did not have uh or still still some customer don't have at the moment uh. that is such a that's such an important point yeah. i mean there, there are so many ways to describe visibility as in container and item level yeah. item level visibility that's that's super i mean it's still to this day it's super super rare but super super powerful can you speak to yes. what it requires to actually deliver that why it's so important and why it's so difficult also to achieve um, visibility on your item level because that gives you a whole different suit of flexibility, right? To manage your your supply if you know where each item is on every container and every shipment. Right? Yes. Can you speak to that? What's necessary to actually make that come become visible? So what's necessary basically is 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 for us to get access to the purchase order data. So this is let's say the only real hard requirement. So we need to get access in an, in an electronic way. And there it starts for sure with, with some master data issues of some of our customers. Yeah? Uh, so everyone has master data data issue. The question is how, how big are they and are, pre are they preventing a shipper from being able to, to do that? But let's say most of our shippers, they have the master data at least, at least in that aspect under control so that they can issue a purchase order in an electronic way. And, and I think that's what it, what it really takes. Huh? And the rest of it is change management. Then it's really mm -hmm. changing the way on how a supplier books, changing the way on how the internal stakeholders of our shippers receive data. So then you don't need to go through Excel sheets. You don't need to go through a logistics department. You can give a purchaser then direct access to the platform and say, hey, uh, here's a report just for the suppliers you are responsible for or just for the purchase orders you have issued so that they, that they know the status. Um, because there's a lot of translation happening uh, at our customers. So the logistics guys at our customers, they know where the container is. And then they try to find an internal way to translate this to a meaningful information to their to their internal stakeholders. Um, mm -hmm. And this can be wiped out, but it really needs change management. Huh? So, so because the beauty is then if everyone is working on a platform and really working on a platform, this drives a lot of efficiencies. But in a lot of cases, the requirement number one is, uh, can you send me then an Excel file once we have implemented the platform? <laughs> yes, there are cases where this makes sense, uh, uh, but but this takes away a lot of the advantages. So I would say the roadblock number one is not so much technology. The roadblock number one is really the willingness to drive this change. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's where I see the biggest issue. Yeah, let's talk about the data quality. I know that's been... That's been an, an issue for, for many, many years. It's a, it's actually an issue everywhere, and not just with one particular platform. It's it's an issue across the board because you are dealing with so many different parties. If you have a global supply chain, you have suppliers, you have logistics providers, you have the carriers, you have the ports, all of them providing information about your supply chain coming out of different sources. You have to combine it all, make sense of it, and use it in a, in a meaningful way. It can only be done if the data is accurate, up-to-date, clean, all that. T talk to me about where the biggest data quality challenges are still today and maybe what, what progress you've made and how, how you're ensuring that the, the quality of the data that your customers and you 
by extension make decisions on is actually the right <laughs> the right data and the right information yeah so the availability of data is not a problem i i i, I would even say that we have too much data is becoming a problem um mm -hmm. not in the sense that 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 it is uh, let's say not digestible but you need to find rules and, and little algorithms on which data to take. Yeah? So for example, let's take an estimated time of arrival. Um, and if you get this through three, four, five different sources, at the end, you need to pick and choose which one you want to display uh, to the customer uh, as, as, let's say, your final choice. And as we are talking bigger supply chains, you cannot do that in a manual way. Um, that needs to be automated. So this is, I would say, the challenge number one is to decide if you have one item out of multiple sources, which one do you take? Yeah? And there needs mm -hmm. to be some intelligence uh, behind that. Because in the past, it was more like uh, we always take this source because this is more reliable. But meanwhile, this evolved a little bit. And with the with, with new technology, especially around big data, you can do you can bring in more intelligence into this decision-making process on which data element you then really are, are displaying towards the customer. And, and the second part is, how do you deal uh, with uh, white spots? Data elements which should be there, but which, which are missing. To give you a very easy example, so let's say estimated time of arrival was yesterday, and today there is there's no arrival, but also no updated estimated time of arrival. So obviously something is wrong. So meanwhile, we have the means to identify all of these. And then there is, it depends on, on, the, on, the, on the data element. There's then a lot of things you can do. So either you take technology to augment this, but then you really need to be sure that it is not giving you a false positive in the end, or you have, uh, you have people on the ground who are on top of things and who fill these white spots. And we are, we are using both. Yeah? Uh, we are using both uh, methods because so far you cannot really, you cannot really drive it from a pure technology point of view. If there are exceptions and there are exceptions in, in today's world, then you need someone who is really looking into it and who is, mm -hmm. let's say, who knows who knows about ocean freight in that in that regards? Yeah. Okay, so you you combining technology with your expertise with yes. boots on the ground that fill in <laughs> fill in the white spots, so to speak. Yes. And we talked a lot about ocean freight today, but how, how far does the capability, for example, of the complete supply chain visibility extend across modes? There's always this vision that you have, regardless of mode, whether it's rail, whether it's air, whether it's truck or, or ocean. You know, you you have complete visibility end to end all of all of those modes. How how far are we from that reality? I think pretty far. <laughs> I think we are pretty far from that. Uh -huh. yeah? Because at the moment it is, we debated now the last uh, couple of minutes about the challenges and still the, the the let's say the lack of ability of a lot of shippers to have real time visibility for one mode of transport. Right. So first we need to solve this this topic. Huh? And if we talk then about multimodal. Then there is there's different infrastructure. Yeah? Uh, for sure, you can say, okay, if we take IoT, that we can apply this all uh, on all modes of transport. Yes, yes, that's true. Yeah, but the markets are working different. If you, let's say, we take European land transport and global ocean freight. Global ocean freight, you have three alliances, maybe two handfuls of key player uh, who control the market. And if you look at at uh, at European land transport, that's one hundred thousands of of players who are 
uh, who are right, having yeah. this. Yeah. So, so the average truck provider in Europe has three to four trucks. Yeah. So uh, that's just a very different market environment, which makes it hard to come to a solution that fits all. Yeah? So mm. for sure, we try to combine all of this and, and we are moving in that direction. But uh, uh, this is for sure a North Star, which we all should go to. I, I agree, but but at the moment we first need to fix uh, the basics in in each mode of transport. I would say. Yeah, are you looking to partner with other similar players that offer more visibility in the in the rail space, in the air freight space, or in the in, in trucking? Any other partners, or what do you what do you currently have have coming up on the cooperation pipeline, so to speak? Sure, I mean we follow the same the same partnership strategy um, uh, in all modes of transports. Uh, so, for example, in land transport, we have Connect to Schenker. That's also multimodal, meanwhile. And in land transport specifically, we have Drive for Schenker, which is another platform which is based right. on a collaboration uh, uh, with a with a US-based startup. So, yes, we are exploring the same fields in all modes of transports in order to come up with something meaningful for our customers. Uh, but but if you if you if you look at it at the moment, it's also The customers are also organized. I mean, it's very rare that 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 at the customer it's all in one bowl. Yeah? So if if they do, let's say, an ocean freight RFQ, they usually do an ocean freight RFQ and a land transport RFQ separately. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the, the majority of our customer does not mix it at at the moment. Uh, maybe in the future that's different, but at the moment. There's also no real customer drive for this. Yeah, maybe the future is a is a good is a good keyword. Let's. Um, I would be keen to know what your what your predictions are for the next five years. How will our supply chains and the way that you and other logistics providers and global shippers will manage your supply chains? What some of the big trends or what are some of the big predictions you would make? I think logistics, in a way that this is organized within our customers' organization, is having a far higher importance than it used to be in the past in the past mm -hmm. in the past yep. it was very purchasing driven in a lot of cases our customers even called it indirect spend and purchased everything which is not material including logistics there it was procure procurement driven approach this will mm -hmm. shift to a real supply chain management risk management sourcing strategies so this will this will become the big trend on our customer side to accommodate with all of these new rules and regulations, with all of these trade uh, wars which are going on, new geopolitical environments. So you need to cater for that. And this will increase the importance of logistics in our customers. Then we for sure will see severe effects of sustainability efforts. So there is no way around. There is new IMO targets already for ocean freight kicking in uh, as of January 2023. Uh, there will be solutions which go far beyond what we see today because simply the regulation will force uh, force the whole industry to do that. And I think there's meanwhile a consensus in, 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 in all major societies that we need to move down that way. So it's also a matter of, of staying relevant and competitive as a company to really engage in the sustainability uh, topic. And the third thing, I, I, I still believe that on this digitization piece, we are at the, uh, yeah, we, we, we did not see half of the way. I think we are in the first half of the transformation. This will still change the way we operate and which we, let's say, go to market and offer products 
completely over the next 10 to 15 years. Uh, so that will remain mm-hmm. to be a significant change uh, reason. Mm-hmm. What do you make of this development that a handful of, of very large companies, very large shippers have taken matters into their own hands and have taken control of more and more of their supply chain logistics functions and sort of becoming a, a quasi 3PL in the process. Do you see more and more of that trend happening? I mean, are you are you ready for a future where a lot of your customers say, oh, we don't need a Schenker any longer, we, we just do it ourselves? Yeah, I, d- I don't see that extreme. I see everyone beefing up their logistics departments, but not in a way that they want to take more in-house. It's more about getting more knowledge And as mentioned, to move away from a procurement mindset to a supply chain management mindset. So we see this here and there where where some big shippers start to create new shipping lines or start to charter ships or something like this. But there's there's huge challenges uh, with that. So what what we see in the market as well is, is... when the when the capacity crunch was at its peak, really, yeah, not a lot, but but a significant amount of customers were trialing with chartering complete ships, mm. but they are not doing it anymore, yeah? and it is because of <laughs> because of it's not it's not so easy, right, to to deal all of these containers. If you have a whole ship, you cannot simply be late uh, by one week, right? So uh, uh, there, there's a lot of a lot of services and processes which happens at the LSP and carrier side, which you all should need to take over if you want to completely uh, insource this. And I, I don't think, I think it was a panic reaction of some of the customers, but I don't see this as being a long-term trend. Huh? I, I still think that, that there's a very valid room for LSPs uh, to be in the market. Good. Okay, so we're going to see Schenker another 100 years around or however long you've been been on the market. We are, we are turning 150 <laughs> this year. Yeah? So 150 our, already. Yeah, our big anniversary year this year. Uh, so 150 years and, and for sure, yeah? uh, we, we take that we take that as with with pride uh, and for sure yeah? we want to we want to shape the next 150 years as well in the logistics area yeah what's what's up with all these logistics providers that turn 150 i, I was just recently talking to jens fiege yeah. from fiege logistic they're also turning one, 150 years next year so i wasn't i wasn't aware of that it was a it was a good year 150 years ago to start a logistics provider seems like <laughs> it seems like it huh? awesome joachim thank you very much for the inter- exciting interesting conversation very much appreciated thanks for your insights and hopefully we'll We'll uh, talk, talk again soon. Thanks for the invitation. All right. That was the Logistics Drive podcast episode with Joachim Schaut from DB Schenker. If you enjoyed today's show, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes. I'm Boris Felgentreer. Until next time.